Um, this morning, title of the sermon is the ability to become sons of God. The ability to become sons of God. Uh, we read our scripture reading coming from the sixth verse, and the scripture text this morning comes from the first three six verses of chapter forty nine of Isaiah. When he's talking, seem like in a singular person to Israel, to and we know that's a messianic psalm. It's a servant psalm in which he's talking to Jesus. But we assume as what he say to one, he say to all, because Jesus uh, makes us light. He lighted every son that coming into the world, and through him, through us, he achieved the greater works in which he has to do because God hadn't made him just a light to Israel but he had made him a light to all of the Gentiles going from that promise of Abraham all the way from the beginning of the promise of being the redeemer in conquering Satan from the book of Genesis the promise when he talked with the woman that Satan had deceived it reads as such listen O eyes unto me and hearken ye people from far, the Lord had called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother had He made mention of my name. <clears throat> we we have to keep in consideration that verse, and the whole Word of God has to be assimilated by us. That's why we study it, meditate on it day and night. That's significant that we assimilate that verse that He's talking to us because. Back in the book of Romans where he said that we were predestinated. Galatians say he had chosen us from the foundations of the world that we behold. So this is not just something contrived of him recently through the prophet Isaiah, recently in the New Testament, that but this is the plan of God from the beginning, from the foundations of the world. He had chosen us in the womb, as he was telling Jeremiah. As David says, he was shaping in iniquity. God had formed him in the womb. We go all the way back to the beginning and he says, and he had made my mouth like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand. He had hid me and made me a polished shaft in the quiver he hid me. That's that's significant also. I, I, I hate to just keep every verse in it significant, but that's what we should live by, every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Yeah. And he says, And he said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for naught and in vain. Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work with my God. That is another scripture there that we all sometimes seem like we're not achieving anything. Seem like we're laboring and can't see the fruit of our labor. I started to entitle this not seeing the fruit of our labor. It's hard. It's hard in this life. The hope is in the word of God. The hope is in Jesus Christ. Verse 5 says, And now said the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him, though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorified in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to restore the preserve of Israel, I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou might mightest be my salvation unto the end of the world. So we see that spreading from the nucleus of not just in the womb, not just Israel, not just a servant that's redeeming Jacob. When he uses Jacob, that's Israel in its fallen state. A supplanter. Israel had been scattered throughout the world because of their disobedience to God. We see ourselves as being scattered away from family homes and different portions or whatever. And the condition the world is in, it needs a redeemer, that mediator, to come in 
and to bring it back together to, to form the mountain of God, the house of God in Zion. Someone to achieve that. To bring light into darkness, just like as he spoke in the book of Genesis, the world had became null and void. The consequences of Satan's chaos upon the earth. So God spoke and said, let there be light. He brought forth the light. That same word that was spoken in the book of John, the word that was with God in the beginning, the word that was God, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. He was the light of the world. So not just a light to the Jews, to the to Israel, to Jacob, but a light to the whole world. The light that lighted all men that come into the world. <clears throat> so we see here the beginnings of the manifestations of the sons of God. Where God is his kingdom that comes to the earth, the one that we pray that thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. We pray, Lord, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that thy kingdom come. That prayer, we have the ability to pray that prayer through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, the one that came, who had gave, given us hope that birthed us into the family of God and told us to pray now that our Father, which art in heaven. God is now our Father. And so that first point, laboring in vain, we no longer labor in vain because we were subjected to fertility through our father Adam, the first man. When he sinned against God and disobeyed God and got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, there was a curse put on the ground and that brought forth thorns and thistles and we would labor to eat from it from from that time on. And he says that toil in the sweat of our brow that we would toil and labor. And we've been toiling ever since that time. It says in the 18th verse, thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shall thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it thou wast taken, for thus thou art, and for thus <clears throat> and, and thou shalt return unto dust. And uh, that 17th verse says, and, and he said unto Adam, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thine wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed be the ground. For thine sake, in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thine life. So we've been toiling and working in vanity and vexation of spirit. <clears throat> the whole creation was subjected to vanity and futility. Brought forth thorns and thistles, and the ground was cursed. But we see one coming here, one that was promised in this verse that would be the Redeemer that would buy us back one that had the ability to reverse the curse to make a restoration of the earth to condemn the world and bring forth new heavens and a new earth that kingdom of God that started we look in the book of Daniel that, that stone that was carved out without hands that smoked the ten toes of the kingdom of Satan. This world, Satan is the god of this world, and he it is his kingdom, but we come forth taking that back. We take back the kingdom of God. We take and we help establish the kingdom of God by faith. So we see an end of our toil through faith. Through faith we see the end here through God's word that he promised unto Abraham, that he promised all the way back in the Garden of Eden to Eve about this Redeemer that would come and bruise the serpent's head. There's a work to be done, and we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, 
but against powers and principalities and rulers. So <clears throat> the work that we do today, we do it by faith in God. Faith, I, let me say it this way, trusted and believe in God, but faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We know that there is but one God, and he's the, the nucleus of the Godhead. He's the spokesman. He's that true and living God that the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him bodily. So the object of our faith is here in Jesus Christ, that whoever believe upon him shall have eternal life. And that's, those are the ones with the ability to become the sons of God. And as we labor, it seems that though we're not getting anywhere, but we're part of God's plan. And so God needs to reveal that plan to us because we may not see the fruit of our labor after we dead and gone, you know. Yeah. Sometime I'll be wishing my mother could see or was here or whatever to see what is going on from the seeds that she had planted when she some of the things she spoken unto me. Yes. A lot of times the words that we speak or say can bring forth life into us. All the words anybody have ever said to you, whether they're good or bad, is there, but it's for the Spirit to germinate those words to bring life. A lot of times I'd be thinking about my older brother that had told me some things, a lot of things that he said, and that come to fruition to give me strength or whatever. And I think about Big E a whole lot in what he said because Christ's disciples, when he said, I shall tell you, talk to you no more because the prince of this world cometh. So we can't talk or gossip about things or whatever, but he gave it, given it us the spirit within us to set us free. That, that's what loosens the bond, that word that's, that's placed in our hearts, the words of faith, that's what sets us free. That's the light that's coming into the world. Yes. That's what sets us and gives us liberty. By grace, Noah was saved when you move by faith, that was that's what Noah did, move by faith. He believed what God had said to the building of an ark, and he saved the then known world, which was his eight son, which was his sons and daughters. The sons of Noah that had wives, only eight souls were saved. So I, I, I don't know how many children Noah had. Uh, but it seems as though he had three, though, because it says only eight sons. So in the Bible, I think it says eight souls was saved by him building an ark. So that would be Noah and his wife and his sons and son in I mean, his sons and daughters-in-law. Yes. Yeah. But if, if it's a tragic story of any preacher should look back, it should be that one of Noah, you know, if anybody toiled the chief purpose and objective it says Noah preached for 120 years but he didn't have but those three con those six souls those converts of his sons because that's the only souls that were saved it wasn't any extra people that came onto the ark it was just Noah and his sons and the son-in-law's wives that were saved yeah. eight souls were saved so after preaching 120 years that's all the souls that he has so that would help a lot of preachers today that have the smaller congregation. They only have a few people. Sometimes you get disappointed, you disparage, it seem like you're laboring and toiling in vain. But we'll look at it in another time. But later in this verse, we see where this preacher, this, this teacher, these, these people wonder where all these souls had came from. That they expanded so much. And they say, who are these? And where did these sons and daughters come from? Because... Right now, it seems like it's our children. A lot of times you've done your best to raise them the right way, but they go their way. Seem like it was in all in vain and toil. Seem like they raise up to spite you and say different things and do different things and follow different career paths and things in life that's not profitable that, that you see. But see, this is all in the eyes of God and the justice is in God. He says, my justice is in Christ. My salvation is in my God. So we don't see the fruit of our labor sometimes. 
He says, the Lord is my reward, and my reward is with God. He says, Paul, Paul felt that same way, and there's many examples I can pull out, pull out of that, but Paul says in the book of Galatians 4 and 11, he says, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. He might have preached and taught, but he called them foolish at one time. He said, oh, foolish Galatians, who had bewitched you to listen at some other gospel, you know, People nowadays, they hear some of anything or whatever. There's a lot of people in churches and joining churches that still have extraneous beliefs and everything. They may be in a church, but we don't know how structured their belief system is, how how much they believe in the church that they're in or what's being taught in the church. That's where that ability to become the sons of God, because Christ says, be it unto you according to your faith. You see, because when Peter had faith enough to hear Jesus Christ and listen to his word and bank on his word, Peter had enough faith to step out in the boat. How many of us have faith enough to get out of the boat? To step out on faith. To step out on the things in life. To step out on God's word. Because in Psalms 127 and 1, we know it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For God, he grants sleep to those he loves. Sons are the heritage from the Lord, and children are reward from him. So we see that there could be a lot of vanity in our lives if God's not in it. If that's not the motivating factor, Jesus Christ. So we see where where we see the wealthiest man ever was, Solomon, in all of his years, then he wrote Ecclesiastes, all his vanity and vexation of spirit. He felt that he had been toiling in vain and he had learned in vain and all was vanity. <clears throat> As I said, this is not just an Old Testament idea uh, thing that happened. We see in the book of Corinthians where Paul addressed this in the 15th chapter, in the 58th verse. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and immovable always and abounding in the work of God, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So we have to not grow weary of well-doing. We have to have to be able to consistently allow our light to shine so men would see our light and give God the glory. Yes. It may not look that way, because, but we're walking by faith and not by sight. It might seem as though you're not getting anywhere, but just keep on stepping, keep on walking. God is with us. He told the prophet Isaiah in the 65th chapter Isaiah when he was speaking the 23rd verse he says they shall not labor in vain nor bring forth children for trouble for they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. See so it's different from being a child of God and doing the will of God having faith and confidence in that will that you are among those that were from the foundations of the world that were chosen. Because, like I said, there's a lot of talk going on in a lot of the churches and in life and different things. Talk is one thing that's easy to do, and talk is cheap, as they say. But being a doer of the Word of God, you can easily get into a crowd and say many things and there's danger in a crowd. I don't want to go to that sermon my mother had that there's danger in a crowd. And the other sermon I used to hear preached a million times and coming up and I was little was always a holiday come out from among the in crowd. A crowd is a dangerous place to be. Very dangerous place. Proverbs 14 and 23 it says in all toil there's profit. And all tall, there's profit. That's why the Bible warns us about quick riches. Trying to get rich, you know. Wanting to win the lottery to get rich, to get money to come in 
quickly or whatever. And they says it takes wings and fly away. It says, in all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends to tends only to poverty. So just talking that doesn't get it done. And anybody can talk or say things. Ultimately, to accomplish anything, a person must exert effort. There must be action and not just speech. It's easy to talk all day about what we want to achieve or do, but if we do nothing but talk, we achieve nothing. Instead of getting paid, the owl talker just get poorer and poorer. Unless, as we find out today, there are many preachers, there are many uh, uh, what they call them. Uh, uh, it's not coming to me now. But there are many people that talk to people to achieve wealth. Tony Robbins is one of those. I forgot what you call him, Tony Robbins. Uh, several of those that talk to different people about getting wealth and uh, doing all these things. But it's not coming to me right now. But Hebrews 6 and 10, as we go forth, it says, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and love that you have shown in his name serving the saints as you still do. So if you're laboring for the Lord, you just keep on laboring for the Lord because he's a reward of those that seek and do for him. God keeps account. You'll be rewarded according to your works. We shouldn't seek to please man. We shouldn't seek to please man, but to please God and to do good works. 1 Corinthians 3.8 says, He who plants and he who waters are one. Each will receive his wages according to his labor. So the labor that is being bestowed, you have to do the gift of work in the area in which God had chosen you to do. You may have a different gift than others, and one of them may not be as glorious as another, but believe me, the God in the tackle is just as important as the quarterback because without the guard and the tackle, the quarterback doesn't get time to throw the ball. Without the guard and the tackle and the center, the running back has no hole to run through. There's no running area to run. There's no throwing lanes for the quarterback. Each position is essential out there. Each position in the body of Christ is essential. Each person is as important. You may not be a hand, a ear, a a face, a mouth, but just you stomp your big toe, a little toe at night, and see, don't it hurts the whole body? That the whole body is affected by that. You can't walk without big toes. Uh, Philippians two sixteen says, holding fast to the word of life, so that the day of Christ may be proud that I did not run in vain or in labor. Holding fast to the word of life. That, that's what's essential. Those words that we're preaching and teaching, that's what's essential. In that I hadn't preached or labored in vain, that the grace of God hadn't been bestowed on you for nothing. See, some people receive and hear the grace of God as demons was and go back and use it ineffectively. And just like Judas, he went out preaching and teaching with the rest of them. But he ended up allowing himself to be condemned. He says, woe be unto that man. So we have to be motivated by God's word, by the promises of Christ. That's why it says, don't labor for the bread that don't satisfy us. That's bread, things in life, that's physical satisfaction, consuming on our own lust. Isaiah 55, 5th chapter says, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy grain and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Simply accept that gift that comes from God that springs up in eternal life, that God's provide. He's the provider. You don't need anything. That's why, you know, a lot of times we're making church costly to people, but it shouldn't cost anything but the sacrifice of your life giving him your life, losing your life, then you'll receive life. But if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. He says, why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your earnings for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me 
and eat what is good and let your soul delight in abundance. Incline your ear to listen and come to me. Hear so that your soul may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies promised and shown unto David. Listen carefully. I have appointed him, that is David, who represents the Messiah. He's a type of Christ to be a witness to the nations regarding salvation, a leader and commander to the people. And that same witness is, is us. We're a type of Christ. If, that, if we witness, if we speak the word of God, that's when God causes us to be fruitful. That's when he causes us to be life. That's when he provides and makes a way. That's when our labors are prospering because he's going to be like a reservoir. It's a channel it flows. His spirits go flow through us and our spirit, those that reap spiritually are those that reap physical things. As Paul was saying, shall I not reap your physical things because I've sown spiritually unto you? See, we have to see who's giving us power to get wealth. Those physical things that we're accumulating, they only come because of they're the blessings of the fruit of God. But if we're laboring for those things, winning them, we can lose. There are many lottery winners that go broke. There are a lot of athletes and pro athletes that have allowed if their agents or something, and they lose all sorts of money. They die in poverty, and, and they once was multimillionaires and all kinds of wealth, but it wasn't in the Lord, so the Lord can cause it to come in one day, and he can cause it to go in one day. It seems as though money sprouts wings. If you ask the Lord to help you manage your finances, if you practice finances through the Lord, there's something that you can bank on. He says, in fact, you Israel will call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that does not you will run to you because of the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel. That's still by... The nations come unto us because they see that you're blessed. There'll be people coming unto you seeing the blessings of God. Let's talk about this light that he said, that he was going to make them a light to the nations, a light unto the world. Christ being that light that lighted all men. The introduction to the true riches. The word of God, the true riches, that's that hidden manner. 1 John 1 and 9 says, There it was. The true light, the true light, the genuine, perfect, steadfast light, which coming into the world, which enlighted every man. If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me, he says. He says, as I'm taking away, I leave you to be lights in the world, you to be the lights in the world. And allow your light, let your light so shine that men would see that light and give God the glory. In other words, your actions and things are so godly that you don't hide that light, that you don't stick it under a bushel or put it somewhere where it can't be seen. You allow people to see that light. Let, let people see your works, that you lift up Christ. Remember I say giving them to be a covenant to the Gentiles, to be a covenant. And that's what we look at, the new covenant, that much greater covenant in which Jesus Christ is the mediator. See, we got to take this and assimilate it that this is us, that he's talking to me. You got to see your name personally in here, that he's not, you can't say for Deacon Hubbard. No, I'm talking about me, Emerson Tax. You see, you got to personalize this. It's like the people that buying the number seven and the number eight or one or two or whatever the quarterback's jersey is or whatever LeBron James or Michael Jordan is and buying and stuff. You have to see yourself. That's the reason they buy those people's numbers and things. You see yourself as being them, that you could play like them and do the things that they do. But I don't want to go down that road of idolatry. I want to put Jesus on the back of mine. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be in his image, in his likeness. I want that to be my my object of faith. That's who I look to. I want to be as Jesus was, a Christian, Christ-like. I want to be just like him. And that when they, later when, they, when we see him, we'll be as he was. 
be just like him in his image. That's what he, he began to do. He said, let us. That's the Godhead. That's his first plan. There's no plan A or plan B with God. He says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. That's what he's been doing. That's the purpose he's got chief. I want to be part of that plan, part of that purpose. That he had started me from the beginning of the world. From, he had chosen me. That That's what he's done. A new covenant, the greater promises. Hebrews 9 and 50. This is a lot of reading here. That's what I'm trying to do. Yes. Keep hammering the word of God into us. Yes. We want to live, eat, and sleep, and drink the word of God. That's our necessary food. That's the food that Jesus had that they, that they didn't know of. He says, for this reason, he's the mediator and negotiator of a new covenant that is entirely a new agreement uniting God and man. He reconciled us to God. He had brought us back and made us one in him. So that same mind that was in Christ can be in us. So that those who have been called by God may receive the fulfillment of the promise of eternal inheritance and he died that death so we would inherit, which redeems us from sin. He bought us back. His death brought us back and put us in right standing so that old covenant, the law, is not applied to we the grace and truth. Yes, yes. By faith, we receive this. Yes. We believe it to be happening. So I say, according to you as you believe. You know, you can start believing in your mind certain things. That's why... They have mental illnesses sometime or whatever. Someone start to have bipolar, schizophrenic actions to, to where they think that they're Nero or that they're thinking that, that they're someone else or whatever. That's what we have to become. We have to start thinking that we're children of God. Now we're the sons of God. I'm a new man. I'm no longer him. So that old man is dying. Now we are sons of God. You start acting and walking like that. You become a new man. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. If we believe that in our heart, if we get rid of this unbelief, and we put the old man to death, and we start speaking and say, Peter, how would you like to have the things that you say? Yes. We start speaking the word of God. That's that polished shaft. You'd have heard some people say that silver tongue devil or whatever. How would you like to be able to speak words, to, to say the right words at the right time? To it, It's not en enchanting or charming someone, but the power of life and death lie in the words we speak. Because we would have to give account for every idle word we speak. But how would we like to have those words that be able to speak the power like Christ Jesus? That the man, the Russian centurion, I mean the Roman centurion that came to him and asked the healing of his daughter, and Jesus said he was going to go with him. He said, no, no, you don't have to go with me. All you have to do is speak the word. Yes. See, there's power in God's word spoken. He spoke the word. He says, light be, and light was right there. Light was on the face of the earth. All God has to do is speak the word. We're trying to get us in that position to where we can do those things. By faith we walk in the promises of God. We children, we should be children of Abraham, those of faith. That, that's the one the promise is blown. It says in the book of Romans, do we nullify the law by this faith, making the law of no effect or overthrowing it? No, certainly not. On the contrary, we confirm and establish and uphold the law since it convicts us of sin, pointing to the need for salvation. The law, the, the law points to salvation. But we have that salvation because we've been justified in Christ Jesus. He's to put us in good standing with God that we don't have any sin, that he bore our sin, that we, our sin was placed on him. So if in our mind there's no condemnation to us who are in Christ Jesus, we no longer think that way, see, that's what the old covenant, covenant couldn't do. It couldn't remove your conscience of guilt. Yes. 
But if you're no longer guilty, you you no longer that, that you know you're free because Christ had set you free. He had set you at liberty. That's the freedom we have in Christ Jesus that it's just like it was in the beginning. He gave us a new slate. And just as like we never transgressed God. And he put us back in standing so we can see the face of God. That God smiles upon us. That now we back sons of God. He reconciled us. He brought us back to God. That reversed to Christ. Yes. Yeah. He says, whatever you need, ask the Father in my name and that he'll give you. He'll do it in my name. You can boldly come before the throne of God because of the work of Jesus Christ, our mediator. Now, you can become confident in this. Paul was thrown in jail, and in and, and, and the book of Philippians, we read where he was in jail, but some of his people got strong and strong and start preaching more confident, finding the effect produced by the public defense which Paul made. They were greatly encouraged and more boldly and openly proclaimed the doctrine of Christ and him crucified because they saw Paul doing this and they were following Paul as Paul followed Christ because he saw Jesus stand before Pilate. You'll stand before kings because nobody can stand against the word of God. And as he stood and spoke those words of God, God said, if you follow him and study his word and pray to him, don't worry about what to say. He'll give you what to say. His word will be in you. That's what we want, his word in us. Mm -hmm. Philippians 1, 12 through 14, listen at this. It says, but I would you should understand, brother, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all places and in all other, of, in, I'm sorry, that the bonds are manifest in all the palace, all throughout that king's palace in which they saw Paul doing this, that Paul stood before the kings, he put, stood before all these people, and he preached the word of God. He said that others wanted to duplicate this. This made them strong. You remember when Peter came before the council, and they said, didn't we tell you not to preach in that man's name? But they seen the boldness of Peter when Peter says, well, we think that you should obey God rather than man. Yes. And they noted Peter's boldness and said, this man's been with Jesus. Jesus Christ's word, Jesus' spirit gives us boldness. We don't worry about our death. We don't fear death. We don't fear anything. That He didn't give us a spirit of fear. That's what makes us walk bold, wax bold and confident to be drunk, to be filled with the Spirit of God. Yes. You see a drunk man, sometimes they say he, that's that liquor talking, that's, that's that false courage, that, that courage that come in a bottle. Yes. But how about the courage that comes by the Spirit of God to boldly stand in, proclaim, and not worry about what somebody could do? Yes. That's the yes. power to become the sons of God. He says it's manifest in all the palace and all other places. Many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak without fear. I've seen him do it. I'm going to do. That's why we have to duplicate this. That's what the world, that's what Satan is worried about, that we start believing God's word. Not just talking it, see, because anybody can talk. And it says even the devils believe in tremble. But to actually step out on it, to actually have faith in it, that it becomes you. You become, just like Jesus became the word, you become that word. You being made sons of God. Matthew 14 and 22 is where we found that by Peter when God said, when Jesus says, come unto me. That's when he stepped out on faith. And he knew Jesus told him to do it. He can do it. Well, this new covenant, Christ tells us, in him, you can do all things. It is Christ that strengthens you. It is him in us that worketh both to will and to do. He has given us by his spirit. He says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. He gave those he called. And that chapter we see when he's promising, he says, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. 
and he was going to strengthen him. And if go on, I don't want to go on in that today. I'll finish that next week. But he started saying what that servant would do. He'd be a light to the Gentiles. He would restore Israel, that Israel would return, that his sons and daughters would come from afar, and that there'd be blessings upon the church, upon the house of God. All of this that would be achieved, he give us the power that's necessary. Power that's necessary because of your faith. That's why I says, be it unto you according to your faith. He says, but as many as received him. You remember when Cyrus told the people that he had set them free, that he came in and conquered Babylon in righteousness. And he says, now you're free to go back and worship your God. You're free to go back and worship God, whoever will. His promises is to those who believe in what he said. So whoever believes Cyrus was able to leave Babylon and go back and build in Jerusalem. You know, that was a remnant. There wasn't a whole lot of people that believed that. Most of them lived by the world. In other words, they loved Babylon and the things in Babylon, and they remain in Babylon. And so many of people remain in the world, and they've brought the church into the world, or brought the world into the church. That's why I say you have to watch those that's coming into the church because there are wolves in sheep's clothing into the church. You must do that sounding principle. You must preach the word of God. See, the word of God is a hammer. It's a hammer. It'll draw you or drive you. It'll build you up or tear you down. And if you can't take preaching, it's going to preach you out of the church. See, you, you, when homosexuals and fornicators and adulterers and gamblers and liars and all that, when, when you see all of those sitting in the church, check your preaching. Check your elders. Check your deacons and things. The word of God is not coming out. See, because it should hit them and hurt them. You should, what you say? If the word hits you, you're going to say, ouch. Amen. So ain't no such thing as these people sitting up in God's church with all this into them. That means that they're not part of the church. They're in the church, but they don't have that ability to become sons of God because their faith is lacking, and you can see that. He says, you'll know my disciples by their love for one another. You see, churches have a lot of gossipers come in there, and gossip spread. It's like a canker worm. It says one bad apple will ruin the whole bunch. But you're looking for God to drive it out, to condemn sin in the flesh. He says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believed on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. These are the ones that were from the foundations of the world, was conceived in God, was predestinated. It's who these people are destined to become. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. But some couldn't see him. The world doesn't know him, and it doesn't know us because it's not made known to them. It's a mystery. You can be inside of somewhere and not see something. He gives you eyes to see. He gives you ears to hear. Can you hear and see? Because you remember he told Isaiah, he says, you will preach and they will not hear. They will not see because they hadn't been converted. With that ability, we begin to walk in the calling in which he've called us. And like I say, there's different callings for each and every one of us. Hebrews 4th chapter says, Yet grace, that is God's undeserved favor, was given to each of us, not discriminately, but he had given the grace of God to all men. Now, when I say all, I mean the chosen people. You can't change a goat into a sheep. Mm -hmm. There's a, a evil or a wicked seed in the world. He says, 
He had not discriminately, but in different ways, this grace of God came. So apparently he made Noah a carpenter and a preacher. And that was the ability of that gift he gave him in proportion of the measure of Christ given. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and he bestowed gifts on men. He gave men gifts. Now, this expression, he ascended, uh, what does it mean except that he had also had previously descended from the heights of heaven into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the very same as he who also had ascended high above the heavens. That is, his presence might fill all things that is the whole universe. Uh, and And his gifts to the church were varied, different gifts. He gave to the church, but he left it to the church to profit and to build up the saints of God. He himself appointed some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists. And we all do the work of evangelists. I tell you, evangelists carries the gospel where it is not being preached. I hadn't been preached. But we all glorify God with the witness of our our testimony of the gospel of God. And some as pastors and teachers to shepherd and guide and instruct the flock. And he did this to fully equip and perfect the saints for the works and the service of God. To build up the body of Christ, the church, until we all reach oneness in the faith and the knowledge of the sons of God. But not to those that don't go to church, right? Right. If you're in the church, that's the perfecting of the church. That's why I say, if you are neglecting the assembling together of the church, that means you're not a son of God. If you knew because you're not reconciled to God because you're not obedient to him. You're outside the gates. He says, until we grow in spiritually to become mature believers, reaching to the measure of the fullness of Christ, manifesting his spiritual completeness and exercising our spiritual gifts in unity. Not as the Corinthian church, they were a very gifted church, but they were a carnal church and they were using the gifts that God had given them in the wrong ways. It was like a money cometh gospel of prosperity. It shouldn't be used that way. And that's what I say. There are many false prophets and antichrists come in, and this is in the name of Jesus. I was trying, I went in to get something for my wife to eat this morning because, let's say, uh, well, that's hold on, stir. But it was a lady in there that was pregnant, and she was hauling the lady that was fixing her food, was holding up the line, talking about this. And she was talking about her pregnancy and the Holy Spirit and God and all that. Well, neither one of them was a Christian, but all of them was talking about Jesus and the Holy Spirit and all of these things. They was using Christian vernacular. But this was her fourth or fifth child or whatever. She wasn't married and the other woman wasn't married. But everybody knows Christian lingo, but everybody's not willing to be a Christian or walk as a Christian. See, because now you're holding all this up and it's time to work. They didn't put you there to witness and speak all this here and tie up the line. That's why on a lot of jobs, you don't take your Bible out there preaching and saying all this. It's a time to labor unto man. That's your job. You're supposed to be out there working and not preaching. Now, there are some jobs that, you know, it may be a blessing that you'll employ you or something as a Christian and you're able to do that. But if you're out there doing that, you're not doing your job. There has to be understanding that. And she's making, putting everybody behind that. That's young people of the early Christian says, so that we are no longer children, that is spiritually immature, tossed back and forth uh, and carried about by every wind of doctrines, uh, by the cunning trickery of unscrupulous men, by deceitful scheming of people ready to do anything for personal profit, but speaking the truth in love in all things, both our speech and lives expressing the truth. 
your life has to express that which you're preaching or teaching or you become a hypocrite. What happens if the man would have came out and said, okay, well, look, you can go home. You, you need to leave because I'm hiring you. I'm paying you so much an hour and these two or three people and one person and walked out because you standing there not talking and working. You mostly talking instead of working. That was That would have harmed the name of Christ. Right? But speaking the truth in love, let us grow up in all things in him. That is, following his example who is the head, Christ, from him the whole body of the church in all its various parts joined and knitted fitly firm together by what every joint supplies. So maybe your preaching and teaching at that time, maybe let her give you our address or whatever, and y'all talk about that at work, after work or some other time or whatever because these people might not want to hear it. I'm a preacher and I didn't want to hear it. Now I could have jumped in there and said some things but like I say, you have to learn when to say some things and when not to say something. He says, with every joint supplying, every person in that church should be supplying something to the body of Christ. He don't call bench sitters. He don't call people just to do nothing. An idle mind is a workshop for the devil. Why are you coming into the body of Christ? Didn't he ask Satan? And he says, whence comest thou, Satan? And Satan had to explain himself. I've been coming from to and fro throughout the earth. He's been doing his job. That was his job to go through the earth and test people. He said, okay, well, you say you're working or whatever. Have you tried, Joe? He says, no, I hadn't tried. You got a hedge behind. Well, you're not working then. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll move the hedge and let you get to it. See, he didn't want the labor to bestow on Joe because he felt that was too much work. You read in the I think it's the 29th chapter of Ezekiel where Nebuchadnezzar had worked so hard laboring in Tyre to overthrow Tyre but by the time he did it he didn't accomplish anything. In other words, he won the victory but there was no reward. All of the plunder was gone. There was no money into it. And God was talking about that in the 29th chapter of Ezekiel in the 18th verse in that area. He said, you know what? I need to give Egypt, the country of Egypt, to Nebuchadnezzar because he worked for me. I prophesied for him to destroy Tyre, but by the time he destroyed Tyre, there wasn't any money in it. wasn't nothing there. His people were laboring for nothing. Well, God's not going to be in your debt. You're not going to put God in your debt where God owes you anything. God says, I'm going to give him Egypt for what he did to Tyre. So he told Isaiah to speak that he was going to destroy Egypt and give it to plunder to Nebuchadnezzar. God's aware of what you're doing for him. You don't do anything for God and he, and he doesn't reward or pay. God's not going to let you put him in his debt. <laughs> no, indeed, no. But the conclusion here is we are now the sons of God. Isn't that what Scripture tells us? We're not looking to some pie-in-the-sky theology or whatever. 1 John 3 and 2 says, Beloved, we are even here and now the children of God. And it's not made yet clear what we will be after His coming. We know that when it comes and is revealed, we as His children be just like Him because we will see Him just as He is in all His glory. And everyone who has this hope confidently placed in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So if you have that hope in Christ Jesus, you're working. His word washes you. You are doer of the word. And the word sprinkles. It washes you. You're sanctified by the word. That's what sets you apart. You have to put away lying. You have to put away all mischievousness. You have to hate mother, father, sister, brother, all those, even your own self, to become his disciple. It takes, now, it, it, it's some labor. Don't let the preachers and things take tea. Oh, it's nothing to become. No, it, it's a costly thing to become holy. Yes. It's going to cost you, he says, present your body as a living sacrifice, your whole body. 
There are many called, but only a few chosen. Those fresh fruits are only a few. Second Peter 1 and 10 says, Wherefore the rather, brother, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fail. Find out where you fit at in the body of Christ. You need to be constantly praying and talking to him as to what is your job. And don't let me be over here teaching and I can't teach. That's what what and what God called me for. He might have called me to be a healer or a giver or exhorter or whatever. You need to talk to God and make sure of why he called you to the body of Christ. Because he's going to make you get up. You're going to have to be forced out of that place. And whose place it is has to be given to him. Did Jesus tell him that? The boy's mother comes to him and says, Lord, let one of my sons sit on your right hand, the other one in the left. And he says, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? In other words, can you go through in life what these other people are going for? Because God prepares each and every one of us. He makes the preparations in us. She says, yes, they can. He said, well, they will indeed drink the cup I'm about to drink. In other words, we all will go through some things. And you have answered that. And they will die death. They will go through these things. He acknowledged that, didn't he? But then he came to the conclusion of what she asked. He says, but to sit on my right hand and left hand is not mine to give. It's my Father which is in heaven. God places us in the body of Christ. God gave Jesus a significant few. You can't sit where God hadn't given you. See, ask Ezekiel. When he told Ezekiel to preach to the bones and the bones start coming together, the ankle bone got attached to the leg bone. The leg bone got attached to the hip bone. And the hip bone got attached. But notice the ankle bone didn't jump up and get attached to the ear bone. The ankle bone had to be down there where the leg bone was. Yeah. We are fit. What does that thing say in the Hebrews that it says fit jointly? It says from him the whole body that is the church in its various parts. And I tell you there are many different parts to the church of places to be it in the church. It says, join, knit it, fitly, firmly together by what every joint supplies. So you will be in the right spot, at the right place, at the right time. He's building a church, a spiritual body. But notice that he puts it together. He calls us into it and he tells us where to go, where to sit. Speak those things which become sound doctrine. That's what. That's why I say I don't deal in a whole lot of foolishness. And a lot of he says don't come with a lot of jested and foolish talk. Go with sure things. My mother raised me, and as she raised me in talking, there were certain things that she would get mad about. And one thing says she says don't talk that that you don't know. There's a lot of people talking things that they don't know. Well, who told you? what you say. Where did you get that from? Where did you study that from? Because if not, you're going to tell somebody wrong. That's what Satan did. Eve was deceived. She didn't ask and find out what he was saying wasn't true. He said, you'll become as sons of God. Well, what's the consequence? What's everything surrounding that? Where did you get 2 plus 2 equal 4? That's why the teachers and things show you things so you could stand up on that. I, someone got upset with me this week or whatever because I was saying about something that I knew and they was trying to tell me of things that wasn't true. And I was trying to get out of the situations. I said, well, just leave me alone. I say, well, let, let's just not talk about that. No, let me tell you, this is this. And I say, well, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. I'm not going to let you. Don't sit here and let me preach to you and tell you things that if you don't feel is right, like I say, that's why we have preaching and teaching. If the preacher's not preaching to you right, don't sit up there and listen because your life is at stake. Every part of that struggle was important. But when it went up, the tile on it broke loose and the whole thing exploded. You sat there and listened at the preacher. Eve sat there and listened at Satan. And when God says, comes in and says, who told you this? 
See, the woman was deceived. But didn't he punish Adam most severely? He said because Adam wouldn't deceive, he knew. If I know 2 plus 2 is 4, I'm going to be the fool if I let you tell me or convince me that 2 plus 2 is 5. If I know God is the Savior and God is Jesus Christ is my God and have faith, I'm not going to let you, Satan or nobody else talk me against the Word of God. You stand up on God's Word as He's revealed it to you. That's what He's looking for. The sons of God come in as a polished chef. You come in with God's Word speaking those things. Speak the Word and that's what vanquishes the devil. In the beginning was the Word. The words go abide forever. This is true. This is what's real. Don't let nobody move you off God's word. You stand, you remain steadfast and immovable in the faith. Everything that has happened in your life, God allowed it to happen for a reason and a purpose. Don't let it be for nothing. Don't let it be for nothing. All of those things that has happened. God had allowed that to come into your life to see what you will believe in him, to show you what's what is what. That's the ability to be. He gave you the ability to become the sons of God. But then after he gave us that power to believe and to become the sons of God, we got back in the book of the book of first John. And now he says, now are you the sons of God? He not only gave you that ability, he says right now, you have eternal life. You need to start believing that and walking that way. Jesus believed it and he walked that way and he went and he laid down his life because why? God had told him he would raise him up again. He rose up with all power and all authority. He had given it to us. And I believe, just as he said, there are some of us won't die, won't experience that first death. There'll be some, he says, that'll be here when I come back. And are you looking for him to come back? Are you going to be standing right here looking for Jesus to come back? That's what I'm hoping for, his soon coming. I hope he come back when I'm alive. I hope to be standing here seeing him. And he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he changed me.